Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I am just so very grateful to be able to share a word today, once again, on New Year's Day. I'm so grateful that all of you have come out to hear a word today. And what we're going to do is, as we're stepping into this new year, we recognize that it's a new year, but we also recognize that we're going to be continuing in our pursuit of God, continuing in our pursuit of his promise. And this is what we've been doing leading up to this time. We've been talking about the significance of the word of God, of what he has spoken and what he has done throughout history to lead us to right now and what he has promised to do going forward. And so as we get to the beginning of the year, we know quite often people start to make New Year's resolutions. And very often, I think lately, we tend to kind of mock New Year's resolutions and make fun of them because we know so many of them start off with such great intentions and zeal, and then by like January 2nd, they're out the window. But I want to say this, that, that making a New Year's resolution or being resolute or resolving yourself to, to do something significant is not a bad thing. To make a decision to say, today, tomorrow, and each day, I'm going to do something different to be able to move closer to the person that God has created me to be is a really good thing. And we should be resolved in our own hearts to be able to say, I'm going to do something to continue to pursue God. Now, it doesn't mean that because, you know, the calendar moves from 2022 to 2023, everything becomes better. Problems don't just go away because we flip to a new year. We know this. But there is something about a new year that makes us feel like there's something exciting. There, there is a, a turn of a page. There's a fresh beginning. And so as a church, we do want to make some decisions about who we are and who we're going to be. We've said this a couple of months ago. We said every one of us has something on our lives that somebody else needs. And if we believe that that's true, and we as a church certainly do, then that means what God has put in our life needs to be cultivated, it needs to be protected, it needs to be prepared, and it needs to be developed. I think about the holiday we just celebrated, Christmas. If somebody were to give you a gift, but it was like in one of those, you know, grocery bags that you get from the store with holes in it. And it, and the box that you got was like broken and beat up. Like if Jamie gave this to me for Christmas morning, I'd be like, uh oh, something's wrong. Right? At that point, it's not the thought that counts. There is something about the way we present a gift that matters. So if we have a gift that God has put in our life, it's not that we just say, oh, okay, great, I have a gift. It's that we take what God has given us and we intentionally develop it. We intentionally allow God to speak into it. We take the time to look at what God has given us and not just to think about it on Sundays when we come to church, but we realize there's something that I have that every single day that I wake up is meant to be given to somebody else. It's meant to be released to somebody else. There is something that God wants to do in my life that is not just going to impact me and my family, but the people around us. So this is what we're going to talk about here today. What does it mean to have a gift on our life and how do we develop it? 
And there's one specific way that we're going to look at here today. But I first wanted to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or at least to paraphrase for it, where it says that we are all many parts of a body, but when we come together, we make the body of Christ. And so for us as believers, we have to know that what you have matters, what you have matters, what I have, what each one of us bring to the table, it matters. And when we bring it together in connection, that it has the ability to actually become the manifest uh, actions and presence and, and hands and feet of Jesus on the earth. But in order for us to develop these things and to know these things, it's really important that we remember our pursuit of the truth of God. That we remember what God has said. And that's why over the past couple of weeks leading into Christmas, we took the time to look at the story of creation. We took the time to look at the words that God spoke over Adam and Eve. The words that he spoke again to Noah. The words that he spoke to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. We saw the, the promise of God, the the covenant that God made with mankind moving throughout the Old Testament through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through some people that we would never expect, through David, and ultimately to Jesus. And it really is a beautiful thing, but sometimes for me it's really difficult to understand why God would continue to use broken humanity to bring about his promise. Sometimes it's really difficult for me to understand this principle of redemption. I can tell you that I, on some level, can grasp that God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, to reconcile us back to him. I, I, can, I can start to understand that because I know God is a loving father. But why would he continue to work in and through mankind when we continue to fail him over and over and over again. I'm currently reading through the book of Exodus, and I just see the Israelites and the Hebrew people constantly. God performs signs and wonders and miracles, and he brings them out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. And what do they do constantly? They complain, they moan, they grumble. Why did you take us out of Egypt just so we could die here in the wilderness? I mean, didn't God just split the Red Sea? And perform miracles for you to be able to come out. And yet you continue to question. But the truth is this. God continues to use mankind to bring about his purposes on the earth. It's a beautiful thing even though it's really hard for me to understand it sometimes. But there's two things that I want to see here. And the first is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. It's for God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, even when you don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense, my grace is sufficient for you. The second thing that I want us to look at is found in Isaiah chapter 55. Where it speaks about the word of God. And this is what we're going to really look at here today. Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 11 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Do you know that the word of God is more powerful than our human ability to bring it to reality? Thank God for that. I would even say to a certain extent that the word of God is more powerful than our human ability to screw it up. But when I say something like that, I still feel like I need to qualify it. I still need to say, well, we still have to be obedient. We still have to sacrifice. We still have to do these things because we don't want anyone to get the wrong idea, right? We need people to know that there is something required of us. But the truth is, is that even in our places of brokenness, even in the places where we don't match up, that God is still able to use the broken places in our life for his purpose, his grace is sufficient for us. Now, I know it's hard to understand. I know I don't always get it. And yes, there is something required of us, but it's through his power that his word comes to life inside of us. It's through his power. It's through his ability to bring about the transformation and the redemption that we need. This is the promise that he gives us. This is the promise of the word. And this is what we're going to be looking at today is the promise of the word. You see, as we talk about pursuing his promise, we have to know the significance of coming together as a community of believers to invest in his word. And so I was reading, and I know I'm jumping around a little bit here today, but I've been listening to this biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I'm about, I think, 11 hours in with 14 hours left to go. That's when I say I'm reading it, I'm actually listening to it. But it's this amazing thing because it's talking about as Dietrich Bonhoeffer went from being a young boy to being the man that we know that he is that would stand up for what was right and speak the truth, He had such a value for the word. And even when society around him and the culture was distorting the truth, even when Hitler was rising to power and the German church was taking form, they were distorting the truth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, no, that's not the truth of the word of God and continued to stand on it. And what I saw out of this was two things. Number one, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pretty amazing man. And number two, how easy it can be for even those who claim to know the word of God to be deceived and to allow it to be distorted when they don't know the truth of what the word has to say. And so my question is today, do we know the truth? Do we as the church, the body of Christ, do we know the truth of what God has said? A couple months ago, I shared a statistic that I think was a little bit alarming for some of us, which was that out of the 247 million Americans who claim to be Christians, only 1.5 million or 5% of them actually tithe. So 5%. 
And so to me, that was a little bit surprising. It was a little bit like, what's going on here? Because the Bible's pretty clear on this. But maybe it won't be surprising now when we look at the next statistic, which is that when there was a survey taken by the Barna group in conjunction with another group, they, they actually asked 5,000 people how many of them read the Bible on a regular basis. And out of those 5,000, only 9% actually claim that they read the Bible on a regular basis. Now that to me is troubling in and of itself, but then we read why. And it's because when they continue to ask the question, what do you think about the Bible? Do you think it's the actual word of God that should be taken literally? Only 24% said yes. 31 of them, 31% of them said that the scriptures are meant to be symbolic rather than literal. And 18% said the Bible is just another book of teachings written by people that contain stories and advice. So 9% are investing in the word of God. Compare that to 80% that go on YouTube all the time. 69% that use Facebook, 40% that use Instagram, and as you can imagine, the younger the demographic, the higher this number is. Between ages 13 and 29, it's 71% using Instagram, and about 75% of Americans do so on a daily basis. So if we have 75% of Americans getting their information and their truth from social media, and only 9% getting it from the word of God, is it any wonder that we find ourselves in the situation that we do? 9% compared to like 75%. Now, I'm not knocking social media too much today. I may do that more at a, at a later date. Because the problem isn't social media. You can go on social media, but the problem is when your priorities are not in place, that you're not taking the time to actually look at the truth of the word of God. 9%. So there is very obviously a truth deficit in this nation. And so when we talk about taking the gifts that God has put on our life and developing those gifts, sharpening those gifts, using them in a way that is going to benefit the world around us, and yet for so few of us are actually investing in the word of God, what do you think is happening to those gifts? Are they becoming sharpened? Or are they the plastic bag? Are there pieces missing? I would say we have to admit that there would be pieces missing. And so this is where we find ourselves in the world right now. And I was reading this book, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And he said this, Many Christians remain in bondage to fears and anxieties simply because they do not avail themselves of the discipline of study. They may be faithful in church attendance and earnest in fulfilling their religious duties, and still they are not changed. I'm not just speaking of those who are going through the religious forms, but of those who are genuinely seeking to worship and obey Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. They may sing with gusto, pray in the Spirit, live obediently as they know, even receive divine visions and revelations, and yet the tenor of their lives remains unchanged. Why? Because they have never taken up 
one of the central ways that God uses to change us. Study. There, of course, are going to be many times in our life where we feel like things are not going the way that we want them to. Situations have not been resolved. Things that we've prayed for haven't come to pass. And to say that the only issue and the only reason is that we're not reading our word would not be a correct statement. But is it a large contributing factor? I would say absolutely. Because if we don't know the truth of what God has said, if we don't know his true character and nature, if we don't know what he has promised to us, then how do we expect to see change in the areas that really matter? And he didn't just say reading the Bible. He said studying the Bible. Not just glancing through at the passages that we really like, or once again going to social media and liking the ones that are like really encouraging for that day, but taking the word, reading it, studying it, meditating on it, allowing it to change us. John eight thirty two, Jesus says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The key component about that, though, is knowing the truth. You have to know the truth. It's finding Jesus in the text. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal the words that he has written to us in his word to become real in our lives. If we are going to be who God has made us to be, if we are going to take the gift that God has placed in us, and be able to bring it to the world around us, we have to be willing to do something that requires something of us, which is to invest, to study, and to invite God into that place so that he can speak to us in ways that maybe we've never taken the time to hear from him before. It's so important. We have to engage with the word. In this biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, there's a letter that he writes to his brother-in-law, and we don't know exactly where his brother-in-law is in his relationship with God, but it's said that he's a little bit more progressive, a little bit more liberal-leaning in his thinking, and, and wants to really go after the scientific facts instead of the Bible, which I have to tell you that scientific facts are only found in the Bible. Like, the truth of what God has said has been the thing that has continued to speak truth through the generations. That even though science has changed, the word of God has remained constant. And what God has said throughout the Old Testament to the New has actually proven scientific theory. Okay, so Dietrich writes to his brother about reading the Bible and he says, One cannot simply read the Bible like other books. One must be prepared really to inquire of it. Only thus will it reveal itself. Listen to what he says here. Only if we expect from it the ultimate answer shall we receive it. Only if we go to it with the expectation that we are going to find the answer, are we actually going to be open to hearing the truth of what it's saying. That's because in the Bible, God speaks to us. And one cannot simply think about God in one's own strength. One has to inquire of him. Only if we seek him will, we answer, will he answer us. Reading is important, but it's the inquiring. 
It's the asking God what he's saying. It's one of those things. It's not about volume. It's not about how many chapters can you read in one sitting or how many books of the Bible have you read or, or checking off the box that I read my scripture today. It's about taking that word, that verse, that statement, that very thing that God is highlighting to you and allowing that one thing, if that's what God is speaking to, to speak to you. To continue to speak to you, to, to think about it, to allow it to come into a place where you're thinking about it, to, to use it on a regular basis. To change the way that you're thinking. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What does this phrase mean? To be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This word transformed is the Greek word for metamorphosis, which when we look at it as an example, it's the idea of the caterpillar going into the cocoon or the chrysalis, going in as one thing, being transformed and coming out as something completely different. So to be transformed by the renewal of our mind means to allow the word of God to take us from where we are and to transform it, to turn it into something new based off of the truth of what he has said. But if we are not allowing the truth to come in in the first place, it's very difficult to expect the transformation. I would have to say sometimes we expect the transformation to just occur. I accepted Jesus. I love him. I went to church today. I'm going to be transformed. And let's, let's be honest, when you accept Jesus into your heart, there is a transformation that takes place. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. But does it mean every situation in your life is transformed simply because you said that yes? No, there is a process. We need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, which means that we have to encounter a truth that is significant enough and is powerful enough to take the old ways of thinking and to turn it into something new. We have to allow the truth of God that speaks to the places of identity, about ourselves, about who he is, the belief systems, the things that we thought. We have to allow his truth to encounter those places so that we can have our truth that we have held on to, held up against this and find out which one's right. Spoiler alert. It's always this. I have an example about this, but... Before I share, I just have to say, if there are any children in the room, maybe you want to cover their ears here for a moment. If they're watching online, you may want to take them out of the room quickly, because I may ruin this idea of this jolly man in a red suit that maybe we've just been talking about over the past couple of uh, weeks here. You see, for millions of children around the world, we lie to them on a regular basis to try to manipulate their behavior to be better and to do better because there's this whole list system that is written and then it's checked and then it's checked again. You know, so we're like, hey, you better be good. If you're not good, he's not coming down the chimney. And before you judge these people too harshly, 
My wife is one of them. So when my kids come up to me and they ask questions about this certain individual who will remain nameless, I say, go ask your mom. Go ask Nana. It's not my department. I don't know anything about this guy. But for years and years and years, children believe this story until truth is presented to them. And maybe it's not received right away, but when it is, when the truth is given to them, this idea that they had that was so strong and so amazing has to change. Hopefully. I don't know if there's anybody in here who still, you know, believes, but, but there is, there is this, this truth that comes into an encounter with an idea, with a belief system that has to change at that moment. And for us, there's a lot of us that need to see a change take place in some of the belief systems in our lives. Now, I want to tell you an embarrassing story here for a moment. It's not about the whole North Pole thing. We didn't really believe the North Pole thing in my house. But we did believe, apparently, in the tooth, not fairy, but the tooth angel. Because you can't have a fairy, right? So we had to, like, transform it into something holy, So my mom told me about the tooth angel, and I'll tell you, I believed in the tooth angel for far too long. Maybe it's just that I didn't want to question the system that resulted in an old tooth being, you know, exchanged for cash. But I'll never forget the day where my mom is talking to her friend, and she says, oh, don't worry, my kids still believe in the tooth fairy. And I was like, what? My eyes were opened. I had a cold sweat. I was like, what have I been believing all of these years? I was 23 years old. No, I wasn't 23. I was probably like 12 though. I was way too old to be believing in the tooth fairy. But at that moment, my whole world was rocked. It was changed. I I realized that there was something I believed to be true that was not actually true at all. When we read the Word of God, it needs to be the thing that confronts the belief systems in our lives that are not true. Now, if you've been paying attention, there are a lot of things in this world right now that you need to be (laughs) looking at. I mean, when all the conspiracy theories come true, it's like, okay, maybe I need to start paying attention a little bit more. When we read all these revelations, Elon Musk comes into Twitter and it's like, oh, the government has been actively lying to us. Interesting. Something we should probably pay attention to a little bit more. But this is not what I'm talking about here today specifically. But hey, let's, let's just, you know, we got to be aware of these things. But what about the things that we've believed about ourselves since the time we were children? What about the things that were told to us by our parents in a moment of anger or in a moment of a careless word or a situation that we were in and and our friends did something and they said something to us and we believed that to be true and we have carried it with us from the time of childhood to where we are right now and we've never taken the time to allow the word and the truth of God to confront the belief system that we've held on to. What about the places where we have formulated our own ideas about who God is and what he must be like because we didn't have the answer and instead of seeking him on a deeper level, we've come up with our own understanding. This is why it says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of its righteousness and all these things will be added onto you to to seek and you will find, to continue to look for his answers and the truth of what he has said instead of your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path what's the truth that he is speaking what are what are the falsehoods that we have embraced that need to be overcome overwhelmed and transformed so that we can become the men and the women that god has created us to be we're talking about bringing a gift to the world around us but once again how are we developing these gifts how are we preparing ourselves how are we preparing our minds and our thoughts and our perceptions to be able to bring answers and to bring light into a world that is filled with so much darkness to want to do it is great but to actually be able to do it requires something of us and it needs to be much more than 9% who are reading the bible and 80% who are watching youtube on a regular basis You see, I remember my mom asking me a question when I was younger. I got to give her a little credit because she told me about the tooth fairy and she was lying to me. But we were driving in the car one time on 376 and we were having this conversation about the Bible. And she said, well, Sam, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God or not? Do you believe that it's the truth that God has spoken or not? Because you have to know what you believe. Do you believe that it is the spoken word of God? I will tell you that as a church, we believe that this is the spoken, the written word of God, and that this is what we will stand on. And it doesn't matter what the world around us may try to say this is truth. If it doesn't line up with this, we're not going along with it. But it's important for us to know what this says. It's important for us to know the truth of what he has spoken. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. Just stop on those words for a second. Living and active. This is not just a book. This is not just ink and paper bound together in a way that looks kind of pretty and we keep on our shelves or on our nightstands. It is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit piercing to the division of what is God and what is not, of what is truth and what is lies, of what is light and what is darkness, of the joints and the marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. These are encouraging words, but they are also sobering words. It's the word that gives us the ability to distinguish what is true and what is not. And at the end of this life, we will stand before him and we will give an account. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We have to know the truth of what the word says, but first we have to come to that decision for ourselves. Do I believe that this is what God has said? Do I believe that it is the truth of God? I pray today that we're all feeling the spirit leading us into a place of having that desire to go deeper into his word. 
We, we should have the ability to think, okay, what am I going to do differently in this new year? How am I going to resolve myself? How am I going to be resolute in my decisions to make time to invest in the word? Where do I start? What version do I read? All of these questions are important, but first the question has to be, do I believe that this is the word of God? Because once we do that, then the other questions actually start to come into alignment. Because if we believe that it is the word of God, then we will begin to make space for it. If we believe that it is the truth of what he has said, we will continue to not just live life the way that we always have, but to invest ourselves into what he has said. And I'll just tell you this, being completely honest, for many years of my life, I had a difficult time reading the word on a daily basis. I don't want this to be like, hey, just read your Bible. Just do it. Okay, which you should just do it. But, but it doesn't mean that it's always this super easy thing. For many years as, as a young person growing up, I knew that I was supposed to read my Bible. I grew up in a Christian home. I had the, the Bible accessible to me. I probably had it in seven different versions and, and all over in different places. But to actually take the time to invest in the Word of God requires a decision that says, I value what this says, and I'm going to take the time to invest in it. And the more that I did that, and the more that I've read through, I've read through this Bible a couple of times, and it, and it shows it a little bit, I, I've grown in my hunger and desire to know more. And in the times where I've missed a day or two, or, or time has gone by, and I've gone back into it, I've been like, what was I thinking? I was missing out on so much of what God has wanted to say. I've read these words before, but there is something new that God is continually revealing to me through the scriptures. Are we willing to make space? Are we willing to not just read it, but to invest in it? Are we willing to study it? Are we willing to realize that it's much more than the New Year's resolutions that are like eat more broccoli and, you know, run on the treadmill a little bit more and and do better in this area or that area? No, this is life-giving. This is a necessity for the believer to be fed. But it isn't until we become serious about developing, strengthening, and sharpening the gift and the identity that God has placed on our lives that we will intentionally make time for him in every area. But so many of those areas start right here. 